This is the Real Digital Transformation podcast series, empowering technology and business professionals to succeed with digital transformation. Now, here's your host, best-selling author Thomas Earl. Hi, this is Thomas Earl, and welcome to another episode of the Real Digital Transformation podcast series. Today, I have with me Sidhant a managing partner at Zinoff, who is going to speak with us today about Gen AI and its impact on business, on technology, and provide insights in, ter- in terms of the different project experiences and applications that he has seen Gen AI being utilized for. Sidhant, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Thomas. Very good speaking to you today. Super. So, um, Sidhant, before we get into specific um, areas of application and concerns and risks and benefits, tell us a bit about why you see Gen I having become so important today. What, what is its significance that has made it such a hot topic today? Right. Yes, Thomas. I think everyone is talking about Gen AI and... Um, Honestly, it took me a while to try and formulate a very simple definition for Gen AI. And uh, if I put it very straightforward, Gen AI is a technology that creates content. That's it. Uh, Just that the content it creates is highly complex and very realistic. We are very aware of the text content that is generated because of the popularity of ChatGPT. At the same time, Uh, content, especially around image creation, is something that has caught on significantly right now. A platform such as Midjourney does an excellent job. If you look at other areas of uh, content generation, I would say complete video and audio creation using platforms such as DeepBrain are also something that one must definitely look at. And of course, uh, there is a lot of talk around automatic generation of code and platforms such as GitHub Copilot are leading the way. And one of the interesting things that uh, that Gen AI also is able to do is to create content to train itself almost by using platforms such as Synthesis AI to create synthetic content or data to train models or uh, make them better. And you asked, uh, uh, Thomas, why it has become so important, right? <clears throat> uh, I, think yeah. Philo- yeah. I think philosophically, uh, uh, we always thought that creation is something that only humans do, or maybe God does for the people who believe in God, of course. Uh, so a machine that is actually able to create such different forms of content, text, video, audio, virtual reality, data in itself, code. Uh, I think this in itself is a psychological shock for the humankind. And that is one of the key reasons why it has become so popular. And uh, I think for people who are unconvinced about the power of generative AI, they must try one of the platforms that I mentioned. Uh, Midjourney is the most fun. I kind of use it whenever... Uh, I have time. It creates images just by uh, description. Uh, However, uh, from a business perspective, Deep Brain is my favorite. It is just surreal to watch it create complete presentations and human-like presenters, realistic voiceovers. Uh, It is just fantastic. And we being in the consulting field, uh, it makes us wonder whether we would really be needed in a few years or not. <laughs> so <laughs> so the, I think these magical results of generative AI is something which forces everyone who has experienced it to really think about how do I apply this to my life? How does uh, a business react to it? It compels investors to question the companies that they have invested in on hey, what are you doing with generative AI? And uh, as a customer, uh, it I want uh, that the companies that I am buying from are really using generative AI to make my experience better. 
so there is a lot of expectation there are a lot of a uh, lot of possibilities that generative ai has opened up and that is why i think it is something that everybody is talking about and also the fact that uh, it has real possibilities it is something that is very very important going forward mm. and its range of applications is is so broad it it really requires some careful thought for a given business to ensure that they utilize it the right way it could also be utilized in a way that may not produce beneficial results or may not meet expectations um so it it requires analysis it requires creativity and it requires a, a good understanding of the business the the technology and and how they should be best married to produce beneficial results in terms of how gen ai changes the way we approach building our business automation solutions um mm. what have you seen uh organizations do how how are they applying it what are some of the the ways that have been most effective that you've seen so far yes that's a that's a important question thomas uh because like i explained the technology is definitely wonderful uh the question is how do i apply it to my business or my client's business and more importantly where is the money to be made uh is the money to be made by improving my process is there a new service i can add is there a new product that i can launch these are the questions that every business executive is facing right now and these are all very difficult questions uh primarily uh, what i believe is these are difficult questions because um the technology itself is a few months old uh, chatgpt gpt was just recently launched so it's not like people have had a lot of time uh, people have had a lot of exposure and uh, they are looking at it they're thinking about it uh, people have, are running experiments Uh, but that is about it uh, i still think that you know it will take uh, some more time before uh, the concepts and use cases and pilots mature and one of the interesting things that zenob did recently was to run a very extensive survey of more than 320 cxos this is ceos and people who had engineering people who had marketing departments finance department it departments and uh, we asked them on what they are doing about genai whether they are implementing pilots if so how many whether some of them have scaled or not uh, interestingly what we found is uh, 62% of them are actually running pilot programs to implement genai and on at least two use cases right and uh, this is very uh very fascinating that just within a few months uh, more than 60% are trying something to pilot at the same time very very few and just about 5% of them have reached some kind of scaled implementation when i say scaled implementation let's say a particular use case is deployed across a complete business unit or two business units or three business units that is a scaled implementation rather than just keeping it within experiments so that kind of adoption is still very very low and because of that what happens is the uh, people are not able to completely fathom what are the exact productivity gains uh, where is the revenue gain etc at the same time they have enough information to keep them excited and uh, one of the other interesting things that we found is there is a significant variation in the people or sectors that seem to be interested in genai so the sectors that are very regulated so for example aerospace sector uh, sectors across energy oil and gas etc these seem to have a lower degree of adoption and people are still uh, in the mode of i'm not sure whether my product will be certifiable if i implement genai in my production process so they are still wary they are waiting for some of the others to prove it to them the regulations becoming better so that they can go ahead and then start using genai 
however hmm. uh, you know where we are seeing the most uh, adoption is is almost uh, you know we started from the point that gen ai is a tool that creates so the industry that is at the forefront of content creation that is the media industry the entertainment industry uh, the agencies that create content these are this vertical is where we have seen the most amount of adoption and uh, these are all scaled adoptions that we have seen in a very short period of time uh, for example uh, when we spoke to disney they are using generative ai for creating the entire opening credits of their new series called secret invasion and this is just one of the myriad use cases that they are deploying in a uh, densu is able to create an entire ad copy using a tool that they have developed specifically for this a genai tool called descriptor omnicom is running genai models to create optimal campaign strategies to not only identify the right demographic where they need to launch their product but also to pinpoint social media influencers that are needed or would be the most uh, effective when it comes to uh, improving the chances of success for their product so this is where we have seen some really good adoption um unfortunately we have also seen uh, what i would call a type b error wherein uh, this quick and rapid adoption has seen a pushback from the people on the ground uh, the recent strike by the hollywood writers guild and the uh, is a testament of that uh, one of their key demands in fact the second demand that they had is that tools such as chat gpt should not be used as the primary or the sole creators of content at best they can mm. be used to help people generate content uh so yeah i think retail is where uh, sorry media and entertainment is where we have seen significant adoption and we are also seeing the uh, conflict start to emerge uh, uh, in in that field the interesting i guess there are a lot of factors to consider and like you said some organizations see limited um potential for it whereas others it can completely change their business models that is right that is right uh one of the uh, other areas thomas that that we looked at and this is uh this is a little different from just creation of content uh, this is where companies who are at the forefront of customer engagement uh at the forefront of personalization uh, especially companies in the retail sector this is the other area where we have seen them very quickly deploy gen ai to improve customer experience uh, and also as you know the retail space operates on almost wafer thin margins at least in most sectors and that is why mm-hmm. it's it's a it's they have taken gen ai uh, adoption uh, or they have adopted gen ai pretty quickly in certain areas to improve that uh, let me give you a couple of examples right so uh, sephora has built an interactive bot that is trying to understand customer questions uh, refer back to the database it has um, overlaid demographic understanding of the customer and really provide personalized makeup recommendations or skincare product recommendations uh, this was something that typically happens if you go and visit the sales executive of a sephora store uh they are now piloting this through uh through an actual generative ai bot right and uh, the bot is not just uh, something that uh is uh, is you know inanimate they have a proper avatar you can it almost feels like you're talking to a person so that's the sophistication with which uh, we are seeing some of these use cases um interestingly uh, it's not just voice content even if you look at virtual reality that is also content that genia is able to create and if you look at a company like levi's it is providing full virtual try-ons using genia avatars for its customers and uh, like i mentioned uh, optimization of backend 
uh, Procter and Gamble is deploying its own complex foundational models to actually and accurately predict sales of some of the new products or new SKUs that they are planning to launch. So these are all very exciting new use cases that we have seen already being adopted uh, in sectors, including uh, retail sector. Hmm. Wow. So Gen AI um, is already at the forefront of a lot of businesses as they decide how to move forward, how to take advantage of it, how to become more competitive, or how to keep up with others who may be um, in their market, but are adopting it more aggressively. So in terms of what you've seen, how is Gen AI changing the way they operate and prioritize business goals? Like, um, in, in terms of the business model shift that organizations uh, may decide to undergo when they determine that Gen AI will significantly change the way they carry out their business, um, how have you seen that occur? Or perhaps if it's not yet that mature in terms of adoption rates, what do you see on the horizon for organizations? in terms of how they're augmenting, how they operate, how they're prioritizing their goals, um, purely as a result of factoring in Gen AI. Right, right. No. So uh, one of the uh, interesting things that seem to have happened, uh, uh, and, and we discussed this, right? It's only a few months old, but even within these few months, uh, one of the key shifts that we have seen happen, especially for enterprises, is that generative AI has gone from a cool tool to be used in certain, uh, from a cool tool that is used in certain use cases, um, maybe to wow, wow customers or to create content faster, to actually become something that is giving real cost benefits. And uh, one of the um, you know, uh, uh, papers that came out of University of Pennsylvania, the researchers there quantified through a lot of research that about 80% of the global workforce would see at least about 10% of their tasks being performed by Gen AI eventually, right? So that is a very significant impact. So even 10% uh, impact is, is actually very significant. And Gen AI promises to be the great technology deflator in this world where we are all seeing sticky inflation for a very long time now. Uh, typically, historically, uh, you know, there are always technology advancements which improve the efficiency of human beings um, and cause the improvement of productivity. And every economist will tell you that it's only improvements in productivity that cause a significant leap in the global um, economy. Rest, everything is mm -hmm. a consequence of price and demand, etc. But it's truly productivity gains that improve humanity. So this seems to be the the uh, the big promise. I mean, it seems to hold a big promise not only for enterprises but for the economy as a whole. And uh, one of the um, one of the Zinov teams also, uh, what we did is uh, we conducted some actual empirical research to try and model uh, some of the savings and impact, and we also backed it with some expert interviews to quantify the impact of Gen AI specifically on operating costs or on the operating functions that you spoke about, right? And we looked at uh, the three core spend buckets, um, the three core spend buckets being the marketing spend, uh, the spend on technology, including engineering spend, and the information and technology spend. So the first insight that came from this study is that uh, the real impact is a few years away. And most organizations considering their current implementation journey will take at least two years to see some meaningful results. And actual quantifiable, reportable good results will come only in about three to four years. 
that's the first insight the second is that uh, we model the adoption of gen ai to almost the closest uh, disruptive technology that we have seen in recent times and that is cloud adoption so so thomas you've been an expert on on cloud adoption as well and and you may recall that uh, it was in 2008 when we could say that most of the public cloud was launched it took at least 5 years or it took at least till 2013 for the industry to become uh, of any significant size and for the use cases and adoption to be rolled out across sectors and even much later it actually took the covid uh the uh, the whole covid crisis to push the industry completely into the arms of public cloud uh, they were always ups mm-hmm. and downs right so even if we model gen ai uh, around that at least the first 5 years if we model around that uh, one of the uh, the things that we have seen is uh, there could be up to 30% productivity gains across these three buckets however when we spoke to uh, some of the respondents we had uh, each of them said that whatever be the productivity gains not everything gets translated into cost savings a lot of it is invested back into the business a lot of it is uh, is 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 going into improving the uh, work uh, the what do you say the work quality of the people involved uh, but even then uh we believe that uh, you know in about 4 years we could see at least a reduction of 15% in the cio spend about 18% improvement in productivity on the cmo spend and about 20% on the cto spend and this is for enterprises that decide to embrace generative ai effectively so what what you see is a lot of data that is emerging which is very clearly indicating that for a business it is extremely important to look at generative ai not just as a good to have but a must to have and a very important part of their overall growth strategy and whatever type of industry you might be in this is something that no executive can hide away from and uh, and if you if you see thomas the, the current state of affairs uh more the market is not the best we are uh, not in a recession but we are close to recession every every quarter every month there are uh, new results there are new conflicts that that start and hence the uh, the significant uh, or the opportunity of significant improvement on the bottom line is something that most businesses just cannot afford to miss right now and hence we think that gen ai adoption uh, in the current scenario is definitely going to be something that every business has to consider and uh, we have seen many of our customers uh, be uh, be very deep in planning and budgeting right now uh, because this uh, chat gpt and gen ai kind of hit them out of the blue just a few months back uh, most of them had completed their budgeting cycle uh, but now is when they're all planning uh, budgets are being allocated uh, experiments have been run uh, some areas of implementation are being finalized and most companies you would see uh, significantly uh, up level their uh, investments in gen ai as we move into the next financial year Hmm. Um in terms of the the drivers of of Gen AI economic drivers um business goals um shifts in industry as well uh that's very interesting to to sort of see that overview of where we're at and and perhaps some of the reasons why it has become so prominent now but even on its own if you take all that away the potential of what it can give uh, almost any kind of organization it um it just it it just appears to be a productivity tool of such potential that it can't be ignored you know it, right. it reminds me of when search engines became um 
uh, important to organizations, to individuals, and how that access to the internet changed the way we do all kinds of work, the way we you know, carry out business, and, and the way we just, on a daily basis, uh, interact with um, communities and, and uh, society uh, in general. And, and Gen AI uh, appears to um, have the ability to become a productivity tool, a tool with access to information and, and intelligence that will just become a natural part of life in a few years in a natural way of operating, right. whether it's on a personal or on a business level. Um, but you, you, you talked a lot about the impact on productivity. Um, when, how do you see more specifically the impact on an organization's workforce? How, how they carry out their internal business processes and operations? Where do you see um, or where have you seen opportunities for Gen AI to make a difference there? Right. So, uh, so Thomas, uh, I think there are multiple areas where uh, we see the opportunity. Um, but let me let me do two things, right? Let me start broad and then give you one very very specific example. Um, so, the study that I was alluding to, one of the things that it clearly concluded is that the impact of generative AI is going to be clearly on the workforce. And within that, uh, if you look at the dependence on talent for processes across the three big spend buckets that I mentioned, across marketing, across uh, IT, across engineering and technology, uh, we would see that the dependence on talent will reduce by at least 4% and up to 15% in certain cases over the next four years. And it is not only uh, the quantum uh, of talent needed uh, here. We would also see the complexion and pyramid of this talent change significantly. Uh, I'll give you one example. Uh, for example, in a controlled sandbox of about 90 junior developer, developers uh, who are given the task of server implementation, what is noticed is uh, for the group that was given uh copilot they saw 55% improvement in productivity that is the number of uh developer hours needed dropped by 55% for one use case of server implementation right uh, of course this uh, the the improvement in productivity will vary uh given the different tasks maybe this was a task particularly suited for improvement in productivity. Uh, at the same time, uh, different such uh, dipsticks from different organizations have reported, almost everyone has reported a significant improvement in productivity, right? That is one. Second, uh, and interestingly, a lot of companies have reported that uh, experienced architects or even business analysts or domain experts uh, think that they need much lesser time of their development teams and need to use them less frequently whenever they are tasked by, uh, tasked with creating new features or creating some improvements to uh, an existing product basis a client demand or a new feature set on the product roadmap. So this really begs the question, and it's going to be interesting to watch how enterprises and uh, the HR teams of most companies react to this, is whether uh, the going forward, the talent pyramid is going to be the classic triangle with more number of junior folks, and there are middle folks, and then there are lesser senior folks, to maybe transforming into almost a step function with only junior folks and senior architects or business analysts, right? At least in the development world. Uh, so these are some interesting questions that we will all face and enterprises will be forced to answer uh, as we move forward uh, in this. And it is not just development or software coding. We have seen similar type of use case adoption and productivity improvement across all the uh, business processes around finance, HR, 
uh, IT, etc. Right. So it could be financial reporting, it could be onboarding, it could be shortlisting of resumes, etc. Each of them is uh, is a uh, is a place where Gen AI has the potential to improve productivity significantly. Hmm. Um, we've talked so far a lot about the potential of Gen AI to make a positive difference in organizations, in in their productivity, in their ability to grow and become more competitive. So it's clear there's a huge benefit potential there. But as with any new, and especially as with any impactful technology innovation, there there comes uh, risk. Mm. There comes there are there are pitfalls. There are challenges. There are ways to misuse or abuse the technology so that it may actually do more harm than good. Um, based on what you've seen and, and what you've researched, what are the primary barriers or challenges or risks to adopting Gen AI? This year, next year, right. what do you foresee that organizations should prepare right. for? I think these are this is this is actually one of the, the very important questions and and recently there has been a lot of research on this there is a lot of talk around this a lot of people are worried at the same time many people are using some of these uh, actual challenges to to actually say and kind of hide behind these and say hey because of this i will not look at gen ai uh, <laughs> but nonetheless let me uh, objectively look at what are the key challenges and again, I will just refer back to the Zinov survey of the CXOs that we did. We asked them exactly this question, right? On what are the barriers to adoption? And uh, 64% of the CXOs told us that just the lack of talent with generative AI skills is the biggest reason holding them back from adopting Gen AI or taking Gen AI to the next level of adoption. Uh, the second reason, uh, which 49% of the CXOs quoted, uh, was lack of trust. And this was actually very interesting for us because this has nothing to do with technology. It has nothing to do with resource. It is just a fundamental lack of trust that Gen AI can uh, deliver the right results. And uh, this was followed by uh, the uh, clear business argument that it's very unclear on how much money needs to be invested to uh, to develop Gen AI use cases, to adopt it. And finally, what kind of returns are going to come? That is also uncertain, right? So these were the three big things that people sp spoke about. And uh, let, me, let me address the first one, uh, which is a very natural consequence of any new technology. We saw that uh, every time there is something new, including cloud, that people who understand that area quickly become in demand and the the, com the companies start hiring them or there are institutes or training programs that are needed to develop them. So that is the first one, right? Talent and talent shortage. Um, we, we, have, we have multiple models and uh, uh, research, uh, research reports looking at what type of talent is needed for Gen AI. I won't go into the details. Uh, at the same time, every every report that we have indicates that uh, there is no way that the enterprises can find all the talent that they need readily available anywhere in the world. Uh, they have to look at reskilling their own uh, own um, own folks or their own resources uh, into these new generative AI skills. So the current Data analyst that you have has to be retrained and reskilled to be able to adopt the new technology. The developer has to be trained to do it. The content creator has to uh, have the ability to use Gen AI to improve his or her own work. That is one of the biggest takeaways that we have seen on this side. The other one that we are um, we we have seen is the fact that it is important for every enterprise to leverage the ecosystem and the ecosystem specifically around technology service providers. Because just as enterprises are looking to implement AI, uh, are wondering about the use cases of AI, 
uh, at the same time these technology services companies are the ones that are also investing credibly and significantly into generative ai uh, we we all know accenture spending about 3 billion on this cognizant said that it's going to spend about 1 billion on uh, on maybe healthcare specific llms and generative ai coes multiple companies including persistent wipro birlasoft all of them are setting specific generative ai coes where they are uh, in a position to help many of the enterprises run some of these sandboxes uh, to run some of these experiments and whenever they decide to scale them use the talent available within these coes and the expertise that they have gathered for their uh, business purposes of implementing genai right uh, the second area i'll quickly touch upon is on the returns now uh, there is a lot of research that has gone in on amount of uh, amount of money that one needs to invest uh, for uh, basic genai implementation uh, i will not get too technical on this uh, but just to just to summarize uh, if somebody has to implement genai using the classic managed models the most popular ones that we know like open ai etc if you are going to use them the investment is low so for example you could you could start with something less than uh, even 100000 dollars to begin with however the return if you are using some of these managed models is going to be limited and the use cases the areas that you can adopt is going to be lesser because these are all almost generic generically trained uh, models and uh, for example if you are in a healthcare space or if you are in a proper retail domain you would actually need to invest in creating proprietary models and train them on your own data or your own specific data for them to be very valuable to you and using proprietary models sometimes can cost up to 50 million dollars upfront of investment and whenever somebody is looking at such a significant quantum of investment the return has to be ideally very clear on when it will happen how long it will take uh, but like i mentioned right now uh, that that is a pretty gray area because of just the lack of uh, you know number of clear experiments that are pointing into that direction so these are the two big issues and i will i will maybe conclude with uh, the point that you mentioned around um, you know the 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 people who are talking about the different problems that uh, adoption of genai might create ethical issues issues of just uh you know what the executive mentions about not trusting generative ai to actually do the right job or the correct job that they intend to do as an organization and uh, there were there are a few papers published on this uh, harvard uh, has written a few papers there are other universities that have written some of this uh, i will take uh, some uh, examples so if you look at optum uh, it is uh, it is it is a software a genai uh, software which many health systems are using to just find out and identify patients who are at high risk and should be followed up by the providers uh, to uh, so that you know they don't have a recurrence of the of the incident that they came into the hospital into the for the first place uh, in the first place right and uh, one of the things that it found is that only 18% of the people identified by it were black and 82% were white right and this seems very unbelievable but this actually happened and when they actually reviewed the data of patients who were actually very sick after going out the researchers found that the actual number should have been about 45% and 55% right so almost equal but this was totally skewed right and this impact was really really far reaching because this kind of uh, this software was actually applied to more than 100 million patients and so you can imagine uh, the 
uh, how people have been uh, i would say put on the wrong side of technology by using it and this is this is just one of the examples uh, one of the large hyperscalers was uh, recently in the docs um, when <clears throat> when it was reported that their generative ai tool that screened candidates for interviews was uh, specifically downgrading resumes which had keywords such as uh, member of women society member of uh, the uh, member of certain communities and very clearly it was biased against women uh, the the interesting thing to note is neither optum nor some of these companies are intentionally trying to be biased so where is this bias coming from and uh, uh, what what is the the big limitation of gen ai that comes to the fore is that it is as good as the data that is going into it so if we have been historically biased or discriminating against certain people that history will only get exaggerated going forward because the ai would tend to assume that that is how it should be done going forward however that is not how organizations intend to do it so this is actually one of the biggest uh, concerns uh, that has been identified uh, from a gen ai perspective and that is why uh, i mentioned in many of the regulated industries this is becoming a big issue uh, the second the second area where um, where some of the models seem to be getting it wrong is what they call proxy bias wherein you are using a proxy uh, for indicating a certain area so for example uh, uh, so there is there is something called a recidivism score or risk score that is assigned to people who are arrested in in the us and these scores are generated by ai and these are designed to predict uh, which of these defendants are likely to commit additional crimes and the judicial officers actually use this index to either grant them bail or deny them bail right and uh, when it was checked uh, on the accuracy of this uh, basis you know the additional crimes that were committed by these people in two years what was very clear is that this uh, software was very clearly biased or uh, was twice as likely to flag black defendants as future criminals than the white defendants and one of the reasons it was doing that is because it was it was not factoring for the kind of policing that happens in black areas or so these are just some of the known biases that a uh, generative ai model uh, has and there is a lot of work that is happening in creating uh, what is called fairness layers or fairness checks and balances uh, however uh, you know some of these massive uh, uh, massive um, errors that have happened is causing the industry a lot of concern in terms of how to manage this and just as everything is early days in generative ai this is this is even more cutting edge work that is happening now there's a lot of research happening on this a uh, lot of people and money is being spent on this uh, the whole uh, the whole uh, regulation uh aspect of gen ai also seems to be stemming from this and many of the other areas including um you know labor rights etc so this is going to be a very interesting journey thomas as we go forward at one hand you have really big potential uh second there are almost humanity altering uh or future altering uh problems that can actually happen so Uh, so yeah it's going to be a very interesting journey thomas i think as we go forward um that's extremely insightful uh sidhant the a quick follow up question you mentioned earlier that for a corporation they may need to spend upwards of 50 million dollars to implement this correctly so with the types of data biases you just described which um appear to originate from vanilla data uh 
if a, a corporation makes that type of investment, would its expectation be that the uh, the result of that would be cleansing out data biases such as what you just described to ensure that the data they input for training purposes is as um, is has as high quality yes, as yes, possible. Yes, Thomas. I think one of the uh, one of the important areas that um, uh, you know people are looking at one is how to make these managed models a lot more bias free, uh, but they are inherently going to have that. And in proprietary models, that is where the complexity also arises because now you can't blame it on anybody else, right? You are now the owner of your own data, your own, you're building your own model, uh, and hence it becomes a lot more risky. And uh, yeah, maybe it, it will uh, it will take uh, some more, um, uh, you know, fairness societies or ethic committees to be formed to scrutinize. Uh, every large investment in generative AI that a corporate is making to ensure that these checks and balances are done. Uh, people who are experts on Gen AI are vetting the kind of models that you're creating, the data that is going inside to ensure that it is free from at least the known biases that people have already discovered uh, in, in, some, in, uh, in, in some of the preceding activities. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned lack of trust as being one of the primary barriers. Is it lack of trust in the technology or is it perhaps lack of trust in the skill set that's available to the organization to put the technology right. in place? Uh, I, I think from what we have spoken to people and during the survey, one of the things that came out is... Uh, it's less the less the ability of the people who are implementing, but just the fundamental lack of trust that a model that is gen based on data uh, and is trained on a certain uh, piece of work will actually be able to do the morally or ethically the right thing, which people and corporates have taken years and years to formulate things around what is right and what is wrong. Uh, sometimes you don't need to think about it that much. Uh, for example, if I'm uh, just writing a simple blog, I don't need to do so. But when I am affecting my customers, uh, when I am affecting a larger population, these issues become very important. And uh, that is why they think that experiments are okay. But once it comes to larger scale adoption, um, it will be significantly hindered if these problems are not solved or not credibly solved by the people who are evangelizing this technology, by people who are uh, experts on this technology. Uh, I think that is the, the big uh, concern that they have. Yeah, and I guess also one of the big risks with all this is that if you've You'd, if you've used um, training data that has biases uh, and you haven't had the skills or the budget to properly filter that out, um, but you've used it regardless, those data biases may not surface until a later point when you're already um, using and relying on the Gen AI features in your business and then if there's a realization three, six, nine months down the road that the data is not good and it's not producing good results or it's causing problems or conflicts, then having to undo that and backtrack and replace it and retrofit your business, your solutions, that could be disastrous for, for an organization. So the a challenge of data bias that you described seems like it really should be at the top of the list uh, for many organizations absolutely, to Thomas. factor and, in. And you're absolutely right because once uh, the a large scale rollout means exactly this, right? That you have completely switched or you have switched your important functions or your important products on the new technology. And if suddenly you realize that this is what is happening, 
uh, it's almost akin to a complete product recall or uh, almost stopping production uh, in in say a manufacturing space right so yes it does have huge consequences and uh, and that's why uh, you know as the importance and degree of consequences increase it is moving more and more away from a nice fancy toy to something that people are taking very seriously a lot of a lot of research is going in a um, lot of money is being spent across uh, academia across consulting organizations enterprises everywhere right so yeah i think we like i said very interesting times thomas uh, i'm sure in the next 6 months we would know at least 10 times more about genai than we do in the first 6 months so i think when we speak uh, in a few months <laughs> we should we should be in a position to have a lot more informed conversation yeah i i i think so you know looking ahead how will our lives our professional lives our personal lives how will they have changed as a result of this fast forwarding a year from now you know it'll be very interesting to see and also you know what are the the pending regulations that may come into place by certain governments around that and how may that shape or limit you know the utilization potential all that we'll we'll have to see how it all turns out um sitan this has been extremely interesting and insightful thank you so much for your time but before we go could you tell us a bit more about um zenoff and and your role there and and what type of yes, services thomas. you provide so, so thomas that's uh, this has been a very 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 interesting conversation uh, it it gave us the opportunity also to reflect across the different areas of work that we have been doing across the organization on genai and try to put it together uh, for this conversation uh, so very quickly uh, thomas zenoff is a management consulting firm and we primarily help large enterprises look at new technology in terms of uh, building it out or in terms of uh, you know trying to acquire it like look at startups or look at other companies to acquire and also companies that are invest interested in investing in technology it could be the private equity firms vc firms that invest in technology so this is the group that we work with uh our primary role is to uh to have a very good understanding of uh the nuances of technology the nuances of talent needed to implement this technology uh we really understand the ecosystem uh that it takes to uh build out new technology including startups service providers academia etc and we think of ourselves as people who are able to bring all of this together for helping our enterprise customers uh do the fastest and the best adoption of technology that is possible so that's a very quick brief of um, what we do thomas wonderful sitan thank you so much for your time today look forward to doing this again in the not too distant future and we'll see how everything Great. turns thank out thank you so much thomas thank you for listening follow thomas on linkedin 